0: For the love of goats, we are talking about everything goat. Whether you're a goat owner, a breeder, or just a fan of these wonderful creatures, we've got you covered. And now, here's Deborah Neiman. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode. Today's episode is sponsored by my very own online course that you can find at goatsgivingbirth.com. I thought that was appropriate since today I'm going to be talking about getting ready for kidding season. Now, this is not nearly as complicated or expensive as you might expect. I know there are people out there online who give you these huge, insanely long lists of things that you need. And most of the time, you really don't. It's really pretty straightforward. The first thing that you need to have are towels. You probably already have plenty of towels at your house. I would suggest not using your favorite towels. Um, Just use some that are maybe um, not so great anymore for human use. Um, You can wash them up. Honestly, they will look as good as new after you wash them. But it's just still kind of the thought that, you know, matters. So you might want to decide that this is a retirement plan for your old towels that you know, once they're not good enough for the family to be using anymore, but not so ratty that you feel um, good throwing them away, you can give them a demotion um, and they can become a towel for your goats. Um, I plan on having one towel per kid. Now I have Nigerian dwarfs. So that means that quads are not a completely unrealistic possibility. So I usually do not go out to the barn with less than four towels. Now, the other thing is, even though the larger breeds tend to not have as many kids, they are bigger. And so that's a lot of fluid that you need to clean off. So with them, I, you know, when I used to have La Mancha's, it was like 1.5 to 2 towels per kid that I expected. Now they're usually going to have twins although I did have a couple of the have triplets. So I always want to have more rather than not enough. I have heard about awesome, incredibly brave people, you know, pulling off their shirt or their coat or whatever to dry a kid. I'm sorry to say that I don't know that I could do that if, if I was in a situation where I didn't have enough towels. Um, you know, it, this and this is Illinois, so we've certainly had our fair share of extremely cold kittings as well. So just make sure that you've got plenty of towels. Another word of caution. I thought I was going to be so brilliant and so prepared one year. And so I, we had washed all these towels and I had this stack of like 10 towels and I put them out in the barn, in our barn office, which it seemed like a nice place, right? Um, well, I did it a few weeks before Kidding actually started. And then at the time that Kidding started, I went out there to um, check on them. And I discovered that the mice had discovered them. And so they had mouse poop and pee on them, they stunk to high heaven. Thank goodness I discovered this before anyone was actually in labor. So I was able to bring them all inside and get them all washed up again so that they would be ready when our goats did start kidding. So you need to put them somewhere where that the mice can't get to them. About the only thing we have in our barn that is safe for mice, are some old freezers and refrigerators. Now, if you have small children, I would not recommend having these around because of the risk of suffocation. You know, children have been known to get into old freezers or refrigerators, fall asleep, and then suffocate. Um, But basically, metal is one of the only things that can keep mice away. So if you've got um, something metal that you can put them in, that works great. Now, the number one most important thing that everybody absolutely has to have before kidding season starts is a baby monitor. Now, I'm not talking about some big expensive thing that's going to cost you hundreds of dollars. For $20 or $30, you can go down to your local discount store and buy a baby monitor. And I got to tell you, these things have improved so much over the years. Back when we got started, um, The quality of the electronics was not very good. And so we have metal barns. And so we had to put those um, baby monitors in a place so that they did not have to go through metal. So that meant that they either had to be like sitting on a windowsill or right next to a door or something like that because otherwise we wouldn't hear anything. We um, recently, I think maybe two years ago, had to buy a new one and um, it works so much better. We can put it anywhere in either of the barns and it works great. The other thing that's really cool about the new ones is that the receiver, um, you can plug it into the wall or you can battery uh, operate it and it's got a little belt hook on it. So I am not tied to the house or the barn when I have a goat that might be having a baby soon. I can go out into the garden or really anywhere on our on the farm, and I will hear them if something happens. And I've done that. You know, I was out working in the garden one day. I had the monitor out there with me, and I heard the goat, and so I knew I needed to get back to the barn. Um, so people ask about video monitors, and I have to tell you, I love, love, love my video monitors. About uh, seven or eight years ago, Mike bought an inexpensive camera at Radio Shack. It is hardwired. We do have cable running between the house and the barn. So it was really easy for us to make that work. Um, And we could watch it on our TV in our bedroom. And it was on whenever we wanted it on. We could leave it on 24 hours a day. And we did sometimes when we were in the middle of um, kidding season, we had a lot of goats do. That way we were never really away from the goats, like we always knew if anybody started to fuss or whatever, and we didn't feel like we need to be going out there every hour or two to check on them. Um, Because in addition to hearing them, you can also see them. You know, there are some goats that are so dramatic and so emotional that when you move them into the kidding barn, they would scream a lot and sound really, really unhappy, and you know so if when all i had was just the baby monitor i would go out there and you know you think this goat's like in the middle of pushing out a kid and you look at her and she's just standing there screaming at you because she's just mad that you put her in the new barn (laughs) and she doesn't want to be there so having the video monitor is great because when you hear that you can look at the video and say yeah she's just mad She's just standing there screaming because she doesn't like being in there. Now, you may be wondering why we have a video monitor and just an old-fashioned cheap baby monitor. Well, the um, inexpensive camera from Radio Shack died two years ago. So we went and bought a um, web-based camera security system kind of thing it's called d-link and i have no affiliation with them whatsoever honestly it's not my most favorite thing in the whole world it's kind of buggy um and that's why we have a baby monitor so um in addition to the app being kind of buggy and just freezing sometimes the other thing is that we don't have the world's most reliable internet and if our internet hiccups for even 20 seconds it's gone and it does not come back. You know, so the first, when we first got it, um, you know, I got up at two o'clock in the morning to go to the bathroom and uh, looked at my phone and it was off. There was there was no video coming through. So I had to restart it. The other thing is that, of course, video is gonna run your phone down really crazy fast. So you have to keep your phone plugged in or your iPad or whatever you're using as your receiver if you've got, um, you know, one of these um, things that you can use with Wi-Fi. And that is why we are once again using an old-fashioned baby monitor so that we can have 24-hour coverage of the goats if we need it. If a goat is suddenly screaming in the middle of the night, we will hear it. And then we can get up and if we, um, you know, and then if the app on the phone is not on, we can turn it on and we can look at it and see what's happening. Um, usually in the middle of the night, though, if they start screaming at three o'clock in the morning, there's only one reason for that. You know, Goats like to sleep, you know, as much as we do. And so they are not usually screaming at two or three o'clock in the morning just because they're mad at you. The next thing that you need, if you are in a place that's cold, um, and by cold, I mean, Eh, if it's less than forty degrees or so, or if it could be less than forty degrees when your goat gives birth, I would suggest having a blow dryer. We had we went through quite a few kidding seasons without using a blow dryer. It wasn't until our first kidding below zero that we realized that we needed a blow dryer. And then after that, I've just kind of started using them at warmer and warmer temperatures. For those of you down south, you're going, 40 degrees is not warm. Um, But in the early years, my goats survived a lot. So, you know, if if a goat does go into labor and give birth and it's 10 degrees or 20 degrees, the kids are going to survive. The biggest thing is... If it is really cold out and a kid gets hypothermia, the very first thing to go is its ability to suck. And so it is really hard to get kids nursing once they get cold. You really have to get them warmed back up again before they will um, start to nurse. Another thing that is really important, now if you are getting into single digits or below zero, is frostbite. Um, The very first time that we had kids give birth or do give birth, Below zero, we had a kid whose ears kept freezing, and I discovered that dry when it's thirty degrees out is very different than dry when it's below zero, because if if it's twenty or thirty degrees, you know, and the tips of the hair are wet, that's not a big deal, but if it's below zero, that becomes ice really fast, and you don't want you know little kid sickles so you need to get them 100% dry you know i always felt when i went to get my hair cut at a salon that they it's really overkill how your hair is so so dry i do not do that you know if i'm at home like i blow dry it for like if i'm going out and i want it to look nice i'm going to blow dry it for like maybe a minute tops you know whereas when i'm in a salon it takes them like Four or five minutes to blow dry my hair, and I have really short hair because they're getting it super dry. So what I'm telling you is that if it's below zero, those babies need to be beauty salon dry, because if they're not, you will have problems, and the first place you'll have problems is the ears, and you'll know that it's bad because when you feel them, they should be nice and soft and pliable. But if you feel the ears and they feel hard or crunchy, that means that they are they have frozen. Um, so When that happened to us, we just held them between our fingers, blow dried them. You don't wanna rub it because you could cause damage. So um, blow dry it um, and try to get them warmed up again. Unfortunately, the ears are not the only thing that can freeze. A tail can also freeze as well as feet and lower legs. So you also wanna make sure that you get the tail very, very dry. I am sorry to say we honestly learned all of this stuff the hard way. So, um, you know, the first time we had one kid who did wind up losing a tiny bit of the tip of one of his ears to frostbite. And so the second time I was so obsessed with the ears that I really didn't think about anything else. And really, I didn't know that the tail could freeze off. And um, it wound up, we did not get the tail dry. And about half of this kid's tail wound up falling off because it got frostbite. And then you can also wind up with frostbite on the lower legs. Now, this can happen even after the birth. And it's truly, it's very hard to prevent if you've got temperatures. Falling below minus 15 is really about where the danger is going to start here. Kids normally sleep with their legs tucked underneath them. But we did have a kid once lose um, two of its legs to frostbite when the temperature unexpectedly fell to 20 below zero The forecast had said it was supposed to be minus three when we went to bed the night before. We got up in the morning and the temperature was minus 20. So the weather forecasters failed us big time on that one. And we didn't realize that there was anything wrong with this little kid's feet until he started limping. And then um, we realized that the lower part of his feet, um, the lower part of his legs were frozen. And most cases, what people do in that case is um, put the kid down because the lower part of the legs or the feet will fall off. And um, so you'll have a handicapped goat there. Now, going along with cold weather, um, you may also need a heat lamp. I have to say heat lamps are the number one cause of barn fires. Every single year, you see stories about this in the media. And I personally know two people who have had fires caused by heat lamps. I know one man who lost all of his lambs and a lot of his sheep one year because his barn caught on fire because of a heat lamp. And I know another woman whose garage burned down because she was brooding chicks in there with a heat lamp and that caught fire. So be very, very, very careful with heat lamps and only use them when they are absolutely necessary. Now, if you live down south, you are probably never going to need one unless you just happen to be unlucky enough to kid in the middle of a cold snap. We really kids do not need them if it is above freezing. And they really only need them when it's below freezing if it's the first couple days after they're born. After that, they are very good at regulating their body temperature. And The irony is that once it gets below zero, the heat lamp really doesn't help you that much because um, you don't feel the heat more than a foot or two away from it. So it's really not warming things up very much. If you have, uh, if you live somewhere where you're going to be looking at temperatures in the negative numbers, Fahrenheit, a lot, then you need to look into creating little warming huts for your kids, which are basically, um, you know, kind of like, we, what we've done is we've used dog kennels, um, take the door off so that a kid doesn't go in there and accidentally, you know, have it closed. Um, the downside to a dog kennel, though, is that other goats will jump on top of it and pretty much destroy the whole thing pretty quickly. You know, first they're going to poop on it and make it super gross. And then from them jumping on it, they will wind up breaking it up into lots of pieces. So it's better if you build something out of wood and I and um Put a slanted roof on it to make it harder for them to stand on it. And at least the poop and the pee will roll off if, if they do jump up there. Again, in, if, if you're in a cold area and you might be looking at some super cold kittings like the below zero stuff, you might want to um, have a couple of old sweatshirts set aside that you would be willing to sacrifice to make kid coats. I show you how to do this um, in my book and um, I'll post photos on the in the show notes for what these look like, but basically you just cut the lower half of a sweatshirt sleeve off for Nigerian dwarf kids. If you have standard size kids, you might want to use a sweatpants leg and use the lower part of that. Um, and so with the shirt, basically what is the wristband on the shirt becomes the neck band. For the kid, and then you'll—I um, make this, make it so that the seam is going underneath their belly, straight under their belly, and then I cut in two holes in the front for their front legs, and then it's—I cut it at an angle so that it covers their back, and it's short underneath their belly. Now, if it's a boy, you want to make sure it's even shorter because otherwise, the first time he pees, he's now wearing a wet coat, and that is not going to do him any good. Now, about um. So we're done with the cold stuff. Now we're going to move into um, some other things like a bulb syringe. If you've ever had a baby in a hospital, you know what a bulb syringe is. We refer to them as snot suckers. Um, You um, compress it. You put it in the baby's nose. You let go of the bulb, and it sucks the snot out. You will not need this for like 90% of kids that are born. The only time I use it is if a kid sounds really gurgly. Um, and you know, they're like having trouble breathing and just, you know, like, like every time they're breathing, you can hear all this mucus. Um, most of them are born screaming, sneezing, shaking their head. So they don't really need it at all. But when you do need it, like you have a kid that's like really lethargic and having trouble breathing, you want it to be there right away. One important thing I told you we were done with cold weather, but not entirely. If you are in a place that's cold, those things will freeze. If it gets left outside and it freezes and you try to compress it, you just broke it. It will not work in cold weather. So I basically keep one in my pocket, in my coat pocket, hanging up in the uh, coat closet for when I go out there. And that way it's warm. It stays warm. If I need it, I can pull it out of my pocket and just use it. Most people want to know what to do about the umbilical cord. And this is a pretty, I don't want to say controversial, um, but people have a lot of different ideas about this. Um, first of all, almost all the umbilical cords will break as the kid is being born. There's always a thin place where it just breaks and you are you don't have to do anything. Um, I did a survey on Facebook and several hundred people answered. And um, I think it was about two-thirds of the people Said that they do dip the cord in iodine about it or some something else, um, and a third of the people do not. Now the third of us who do not dip do not have kids dropping dead left and right. If we did, we wouldn't be ignoring it. Like if we knew that something was important, we'd be doing it. I initially dipped cords in iodine when I got started because I thought that was what I was supposed to do. And then, um, you know, back in the day in the early 2000s, I was on Yahoo groups and I saw people arguing about whether or not you needed to do it. And then I started reading some research. And the crazy thing is the research does not support dipping cords in iodine. Um, And I should post some links to this. I should actually, I have a whole blog post I'm going to put up on this um, about the research on using iodine and stuff. So this is one of those things where I'm like, well, in my book, I tell you, do whatever helps you sleep at night. Um, For me, it's just like, if I don't have to do it, I'm not going to do it. And we've had 650 kids. We have never had one single case of navel ill. I will tell you on the rare occasion when I have found a kid in a pile of poop, which I think has happened like twice in all those births, um, because a goat surprised us. In those cases, I do. I'm like bathing the kid and dipping the cord and all that kind of stuff because I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, what, what is going to happen to you because your mom had such poor judgment about where she should give birth um, when there was like fresh clean grass out here where she could have had you. So anyway, um, but when I did the research, the Research really does not support iodine. So, you know, if you're on the fence, then I would say don't worry about it. Um, So since the cord usually breaks on its own, you really don't need a pair of scissors on the very, very rare occasion. I think maybe in the last 500 births, I've had two or three cords that didn't break. And I just rip it like rip. It sounds wrong. I tear it Um, and I do it several inches from the belly. You don't want to do it close to the belly because you don't want to accidentally rip the umbilicus, but you know, like you wrap it around your finger like you would if you were going to try to tear a piece of string. Um, and that's how I do it and, and find a thin spot. Like there's, like I said, there's always a thin spot. You really do need to have disposable gloves, um, this is so if you are pregnant, there are a couple of diseases that are zoonotic, meaning that if your goat happened to have one of those diseases and you're pregnant, you could get them and it could be dangerous for your baby. So if you are pregnant, absolutely positively have gloves with you at all times, like just keep them in your coat pocket or whatever in case a goat surprises you. But You know, even if you're not, like I've honest, to be totally honest here, I have attended most births with no gloves. And I've, but I've always said, oh, if you've got a cut on your finger or something, then you should wear gloves. Well, last year I was at a birth and I had a cut on my finger and I didn't think about it until everything was done. And I was like, Oh, my goodness, I really hope this goat didn't have some kind of a disease that I am now going to get. Thankfully, she did not. I'm totally fine. But you know, I'm this is top of mind for me now. Because a couple years ago, my husband cut himself when he was in the middle of butchering chickens, and he wound up with a really nasty infection, systemic infection, um, where he had to be on antibiotics for some ridiculous amount of time. So you want to have gloves available just to protect yourself. Um, Pritchard teat and bottles. I really prefer the Pritchard teat. People will tell you that you can use a human baby bottle, but the Pritchard teat is better because you're going to have it in a. You're going to use the bottle that comes with it that you can squeeze. And when you, most of these babies are not just going to grab the nipple and go, oh yay, I'm going to suck. Most babies are going to fight you and act like you're trying to poison them. So it's really nice to have a bottle that you can squeeze a little bit and get a few drops of um, milk into their mouth. Sometimes you will have to do this for like 10 minutes to get an ounce into them, you know, and they'll just swallow drip by drip. Um, Sooner or later, they will get the idea like, oh, if I suck, I get more milk and they'll start. But until they learn how to do it, it's so much easier to get them started if you've got a Pritchard tea. Um It's also a nice idea to have a feeding tube with a 60cc syringe just in case. Um, you never know when you're going to need this when you have a kid that's born really weak that can't suck. And this is not the kind of thing that you can just go get at the local farm store in most cases. Um, when I was brand new, I did find a dog and cat vet who had this available and I was able to get it from them, even though they were very skeptical, they didn't want to sell it to me. And I'm like, no, I'm absolutely certain this is what I need. But you can get this online, um, from like a lot of different, um, places online that sell goat supplies, um, lambing supplies, all that kind of stuff. Um, and they last forever. So you just keep it in its sterile packaging you know, put away somewhere until until the day that you actually need it. And that is it. That's all I have on my list of things that you need for uh, getting ready for kidding season. And yes, I know there are lots of other things that you could buy and you could have you spend a small fortune on other stuff, but I really don't recommend that you get some of the more advanced things like a kid puller until you've actually seen someone use it in real life and explain it to you and all that kind of stuff. Because it's easy to make a mistake and do a lot of damage with something like that. Also, it is only needed in very rare situations. In fact, a kid puller has only been needed once out of our 650 births. So um, and I find a lot of people if they have it, they think that they should use it. And then they don't really know why even so that's a discussion for another day. Thanks so much for joining me today. Remember to check out goatsgivingbirth.com to learn more about my online kidding course. Next week, I am going to be joined by Chris McLaughlin, who has a fiber and flower farm. This honestly sounds like a huge recipe for disaster. She raises Angora goats and flowers. So it's going to be a lot of fun to talk to her about how those two things can not only coexist, but how they actually complement each other. So I'm looking forward to talking to you all again next week. Bye for now.